Hello, everybody. I'm Clay Brees, and this is The Point. Our listeners have made our show the number one produced show and podcast on this station, AM Radio 1180 WFYL. Our thanks to all of you in Southeast Pennsylvania and the Delaware Valley for making this happen. So let's get set and buckle our seatbelts for some fast-paced factual discussion and, of course, my expert opinion coming at you at the speed of sound. Get ready to catch on to the distinct, compelling discussion only heard right here on this guidepost for all truth seekers everywhere. So here we go, jumping right into it. I want to comment a little bit on uh, what I saw with a picture. A picture's worth a thousand words. There was a photograph. First off, I want to start off by saying I'm going to be spending a lot of time on the actual voter fraud. I'm going to be bulleting out what this fraud is. The show will be a lot to do with that. And then later on the Watchmen, we will talk about some other stuff. Uh, uh, we got Chinese troops being reported in Canada, and I want to talk about that. But we'll talk about that likely on the Watchmen. I don't think we'll get to it on this show. But anyway, uh, is God sending a message? Again, a picture's worth a thousand words. When the New York delegation went off and cast their votes for the electors for 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 the uh, for, for for Joe Biden, Hillary Clinton had a picture of her with a thumb up in front of her mantle in her house. Now, behind her was a clock, and on the clock was the time 1210. Now, what I think is interesting is if you go to the Constitution to the 12th Amendment to line 10, you're going to see this. You're going to see this, this article. I thought it was very interesting. It reads this way. The presidential candidate receiving the greatest number of votes provided that number equal the majority of the electors was elected president. Comma. Why the while the presidential candidate receiving the second most votes was elected vice president in cases where no individual won a vote from a majority of the electors, as well as in cases where multiple individuals won votes from a majority of electors, but tied each other for the most votes, the House of Representatives would would hold a contingent election to select the president. I think what's interesting, again, if a picture's worth a thousand words, and again, the uh, the old saying, the you know, I see the irony of this. I, I don't know if this is an, an ironic statement or whatnot, but I, I, I think that there's something to be said of the fact that you have a picture that has the, the time on a clock behind Hillary Clinton as she's got the thumb up congratulating Joe Biden that you have the number 1210 on there. And again, if you go to the Constitutional Amendment, you know, you go to the Constitution to the 12th Amendment to line 10, you're going to see what I just read. So I'm encouraged by that because I think God speaks to us oftentimes through symbolism and through signs, if you will. Uh, we see things through the eyes of faith differently. And I think that I just want to encourage everybody to to lift your spirits. I think there's something more coming. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. I, I, I think it's important that we understand that uh, we're, we're looking we're looking at, I think, a seismic event that's going to be happening. I think that the uh, the director of national intelligence, John Radcliffe, is going to be putting out his report. He's already kind of telegraphed it already. 
that there's there's evidence that Iran, China, and Russia were meddling in our election. So, folks, this is going to be, I think, uh, his his report is going to be something seismic as well. But I wanted to point that out because I want to encourage our listeners. Now, let's let's jump right into our show itself here. I, I I'm going to title this one "Wanted People of Courage." We need people of courage. Now. I want to take a little bit of a side note here on Mitch McConnell because he's lacking courage, I think, and lacking conviction. And I think when you look at it, the reason for this is because his brother-in-law, okay, has reportedly has, I want to say friends, but connections, contacts, whatever, with the Chinese communist leadership. I think that's interesting. Now, McConnell just called Joe Biden a great public servant. Now, I think um, I would use the terms public servant when relating to people like Trump, who made millions of dollars. Then he went to serve this country as president of the United States uh, to, uh, you know, to donate his paycheck, which is what he's done. The man's donated his paycheck to, to charity, he never took a dime for this. Don't miss that. To me, that's a servant. I mean, he's serving his country for no money. He's serving his country. He's in office for the reason of being a servant. Okay, Joe Biden is not a servant unless it's, of course, serving himself. Okay, because Joe Biden is by definition uh, not a public servant because this is the guy that's had the job for 47 years and he's done nothing but enrich his own life. The man lacks servility. So I would not use public servant in the same sentence with Joe Biden. So I'm kind of questioning Mitch, Mitch McConnell's judgment here. Okay, because again, Joe Biden's the same guy who participated in the Russian collusion sham four years ago. He admitted to quid pro quo with the Ukrainian government on on video. Okay. Uh, he was endorsed by Bob Avakian, the founder of the Revolutionary Communist Party USA. I mean, I wouldn't relate that guy as a public servant. And of course, uh, you know, his own staffers donated money to bail out the arrested rioters in Minneapolis. And of course, his vice presidential pick. Uh, made pleas on social media for donations to bail out these arrested rioters who burned the police stations down and, and firebombed police cars and so forth, okay? That, I would not call these end America politicians, I would not call them public servants. This is not political hyperbole, folks. What I just stated are facts about Joe Biden, okay? Make no mistake about it. Uh, now, you can debate policies. You can debate, you know, uh, spending rules. You can policies and, you know, where to put a road or how much to to put into this fund or that fund. Or you could even you can even debate people, uh, you know, how how many regulations to to uh, to 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 repeal in the EPA. We can have that discussion. But to debate the facts on the ground of what makes a servant and what define someone who is serving or self-serving folks that's not up for discussion we can we're not going to debate facts okay we're not going to debate facts i think facts are what they are i think uh, maybe this was mitch mcconnell's moment of civility 
Um, I, I like to akin this to John McCain when he said back in 2008 that Barack Hussein Obama would be a good president. That, of course, happened before Obama took over and outlawed private health care and uh, weaponized the IRS against those rascally conservatives. We all remember that. And again, this is the same Obama who worked with Joe Biden to weaponize the Justice Department to create the sham charge against Trump. And then, of course, again, of course, Michael Flynn. And then to have have this country spend two years and tens of millions of dollars on a sham investigation, as well as foreign policy equity that we'll never get back. Okay. Yeah, um, you know, this is the Joe Biden that McConnell is referring to. So I wanted to point this out. Let's get off the wonderful wonderful unifier bandwagon and let's call this what it is. Joe Biden is self-serving, okay? And now I believe he's under investigation. At least I've heard that. I haven't looked into that, but I mean, that's interesting. I know we know his son is, okay? But what we have here is we have establishment elected officials who just don't like Trump. The never Trumpers, okay? I, it could be jealousy. Who knows what it is? Maybe they think Trump's ties are too long. I heard Nancy Pelosi make that comment. I think you know, going around the White House with his ties hanging too low, and I, you know, it's amazing to me. These people just hate the man. Okay, uh, but maybe they don't like the way he makes decisions. Maybe they don't like the way that he'll go into a meeting, maybe, and and here is chief of staff, uh, former chief of staff, Mr. Kelly, General Kelly, when he was his chief of staff, would maybe create an agenda and say on the agenda, this is what we got, Mr. President. And Mr. President Trump would turn around and say, Mr. Mr. Kelly, I want you to make this phone call and get this guy on the phone because I want to talk to him about this. Uh, this this problem we're having in this area, whatever. And Kelly would say, well, Mr. President, that's not on your agenda. Presidents don't go against the agenda. The chief of staff determines the agenda. And Trump would say, well, let's be clear here. I'm president and I determine the agenda. Now, we can agree on the agenda, but if I have disagreements with certain aspects of it, because I want to include other things, we're going to do what I want to do because I'm the president of the United States. Well, these establishment meatheads like Mr. Kelly and others that are that are in Washington, these establishment meatheads, these swamp creatures, if you will, they just don't like that about Trump. And I think that's just a very telling point. So don't miss that. Don't miss that. And I also want to lift the spirits of people on the Texas Supreme Court case. And again, I, I addressed this last week, but I just want to basically address it briefly here. Uh, you know, we we uh, we all felt this was a slam dunk for SCOTUS. And again, I, I go back to, you know, I mean, what and how how bills become laws and legal processes. So, you know, and legislative process determine what the laws are. I want to go back to that, because since the founding of our country, there's been a process for everything in March. Of, I think and, in, 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 you know, back when I was in school back in the 70s, I remember Schoolhouse Rock taught us about the process for a bill and how laws are made. I mean, and of course you, you got that in civics when we were learning civics in school. Routinely, people demonstrate their lack of knowledge about the legislative process. You see it all the time. We're out there talking to people and they just don't understand how, how a bill becomes law. The United States Constitution, as well as many of the state's constitutions and charters, 
all contain instructions of the process, all of them. Now, the process includes the passage of bills out of both houses of the legislature, okay? And, uh, you know, and, and then that's how it comes together, okay? And, of course, those bills are then signed by the executive branch when the, when the governors agree to them or the president. And then the courts actually weigh in to decide whether or not these laws that they just passed are, in fact, in line with the Constitution. That's the way it's supposed to work, should they, of course, be challenged. But legislating from an executive office is never to happen, folks. Make no mistake about it. Attorneys generals and the secretaries of state across the country refuse to endorse certain laws. They refuse to enforce, I should say, in certain laws. They just refuse to enforce them. And even under orders from the Supreme Court of the United States, they did this. In Pennsylvania, they did this. It's amazing. They disregard court orders by the, by the Supreme Court of the United States. It's just defiance at its most base level. Look, these actions created a discrepancy between states that followed the rules and law to conduct their elections, and then those states that changed the rules and the laws outside the constitutional process, you know, the courts weighing in and so forth, they, they thus created for themselves an unfair process. I mean, I don't even call it an advantage because it's not really an advantage. I mean, I guess it could be an advantage for a candidate, so maybe it was there, but it's certainly it makes it so that people don't have equal process and equal access when the laws are being changed by the executive branch or when they're being changed by people who aren't even able to change the laws, like the Secretary of State of Georgia, which, by the way, just agreed to a signature verification count of the mail-in ballots. And I think what's interesting is he's going to incorporate the University of Georgia into this. I sure hope we have Republican observers that can actually see what's happening when they're doing this. I want to make sure of that. So I don't know about the complete process here. I'm not going to jump too high for joy uh, because I don't know if they're going to try to. This is all a, a smoke screen for them to run another count in Georgia uh, with a, you know, with a sham in, in mind. OK, with a sham in mind. I don't know. I mean. If they're really going to be doing signature verifications, this is an easy an easy win for Trump in that state because they had hundreds of thousands of ballots that I'm sure did not qualify. I, I heard a number; it was about three or four hundred thousand. So we're going to see what the signature verifications represent because if you don't find envelopes for the the votes, then you can't verify signatures. So they're going to determine, and and who knows what they actually did, but they're going to determine. Which, you know, how many signatures they actually have on hand, and they should be able to compare that with the actual mail-in vote, so we can see how many votes that they did not have signature envelopes for. That's going to be interesting too. So anyway, but that's on a side note. I'm sorry for the shifting of gears here, folks, but I'm moving very quickly, and I know because our listeners here are very, are very expert listeners, are going to be able to keep up. So please shift with me here as I go on. I'm, I apologize for that diversion there. But let me get back to what we're talking about with the with the Texas case. So when the states and counties change the rules outside the Constitution, okay, 
when that happens, like it happened in certain counties in Arizona, it happened in the state of Georgia. We talked about that. It happened in Wisconsin. I mean, I can get into what happened, but I mean, I mean, bottom line is it had a lot to do with signatures in in, in Arizona and in, in Georgia. But we also in Wisconsin, we actually had mail-in ballots that they don't have a record of an application for the ballot being mailed. I think that's very telling as well. But we also see the egregious effort here by Pennsylvania uh, Attorney General and the Pennsylvania Supreme uh, Secretary of State as they disregarded the SCOTUS order. I mentioned that earlier. They made decisions, again, in all of these states to count ballots as votes based on in, on the unconstitutional changes that they made to the laws. And, and again, these laws are made by the legislature, but some of these people use COVID as their, as their smokescreen cover to change these laws. So the Texas case was all about that. And I'm amazed, as many of our listeners are, that SCOTUS turned around and threw it out. Now, we've all heard the uh, whistleblower that came forward and talked about the screaming behind the, the, the walls that he heard uh, from the, uh, the halls in the Supreme Court uh, screaming that came down there because of the yelling that took place because it was a very heated discussion. And uh, John Roberts did not want this to come forward. And he he was he had stated and it was heard that he was uh, that he was afraid. Now, Joe Pesci in the movie My Cousin Vinny had a comment that is very popular with the with the unschooled, if you will, or the or the uneducated in the Northeast. It, they call it the uh, when they're referring to themselves as being afraid. They usually that some oftentimes they will say I'm, I'm a scared. It's a it's a word that's not really a word. But uh, uh, Joe Pesci coined it uh, uh, a scared. I think it's funny. Uh, but but whatever the case is, this Supreme Court Justice John Roberts tried to paint the facade that he was a scared or afraid, if you will, of um, of riots. Now, I, I got to tell you, folks, I don't buy that. I just don't buy that. I don't know if he's really afraid of rioters or if there was some other reason that caused him to say, keep this case out of this court. Now, he yelled loudly. And uh, from what I understand, he intimidated the junior justices, the new the newbies there, uh, Gorsuch, uh, Kavanaugh and, and and Barrett. But I would submit to you what I think is interesting in all of this. And everyone was depressed about this, including me. I mean, we're all upset about it. Trump, everybody. But I want to point this out, and I want to make sure we're clear on this. Oftentimes, and I know this from being on a school board, after you vote on something, and then you you think you've done the right thing there, okay, whatever, and then you go home and you digest it. You you digest it. You go over it. And you go over it. And you realize, my goodness, I made a mistake. This is kind of like what I think these justices are going to be seeing. These justices are going to be thinking, I made a terrible error. I should never have given in. We should have heard the case. That's what I think. And I'm saying this as wish casting, okay, because I'm, I'm just saying this as a Christian who believes that God had Amy Coney Barrett appointed in the nick of time for the reasons such as this. I believe a miracle can still happen from this. Uh, the Michigan case and the Georgia case are on the dockets now for the Supreme Court. Uh, that's something. Don't miss that. Okay. So uh, I, I think that's a very important thing. And Pennsylvania is another slam dunk for the Supreme Court. So if Trump wins all three of them, and if he does, uh, this goes the way Trump wants it to go. Uh, we could see uh, 
this going off to a contingent election at the, in the House of Representatives. And that'll be another another topic for another discussion. But don't miss what I just suggested, folks, because people were very upset about this. They were upset that, you know, my goodness, this is the way this came down. This was a slam dunk for the Supreme Court. I mean, after all, these states egregiously changed their laws uh, unilaterally with Secretary of State. And, and of course, the Supreme Court justices, they weighed in there and helped change the laws. And, and then, I mean, all these, all these people, just all these states changed their laws incorrectly. And um, I think that's a slam dunk. But whatever the case is, I believe that the Supreme Court, because, uh, because they're going, they're going to end up doing the right thing. And I think that as they, as Barrett, Kavanaugh, and, and Gorsuch digest what actually happened, they're going to ask the same question because I can't believe I'm the only one asking this question. Is he really afraid of riots? Really? I mean, really? Is he really afraid of rioting in the streets? Folks, rioting is something that can be completely squashed very quickly. Okay, very quickly. As the protesters start to assemble, they start to assemble law enforcement on the other side very quickly. This is a no-brainer. And when the organizers think they're going to drop off bricks and Molotov cocktails like they've done in the past and uh, to, to, to loot and riot and pillage these neighborhoods, they will step in there and they can squash these riots very quickly. Riots are not something you're afraid of. I mean, think of it like this. Think of it like this. If you were the type, if, if, if you, you know, our, many of our listeners out there in Southeast Pennsylvania can relate to this. If you're parking your car on the curbside in a snowstorm and you took the parking spot of your neighbor or you maybe encroached a little bit into their parking spot and your neighbor was to say to you uh, with no with no grace at all and no and no uh, proper etiquette whatsoever was to say to you, do that again and I'm going to put a brick through your windshield. How would you respond to that? How would you respond to that? That is the response that's in the DNA of any American. They would all have a moment of self-reflection and they would look and say, you've got to be kidding me. Did I just hear what I heard? And then you would ask the question, did you just say this? Are you threatening me? That's not the way to get along. We don't threaten. That's not the way you get along. You don't get along and you don't find compromise when threats when threats are, are brought in, okay? When you bring threats into the conversation, that's when compromise and that's when, you know, civility end on my side. And we start talking in different terms, you know, like law enforcement, things like that. You know, when threats arise, when threats come into the conversation, everything changes. Now, unless, of course, you're a cowering coward, in which case you're motivated by threats or you're moved by threats and uh, you're motivated to take other action because of threats. But that's not the way I see people that have gotten to the point where they're appointed to the Supreme Court of the United States. So I don't believe that these justices are going to believe that about their about their uh, about their colleague. I think they're going to see this differently. They're all going to ask the question I just asked. And they're going to wonder why in the world would he make a decision like that? Or, or insist that we don't hear it because he thinks there's riots are going to take place. You've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. Anyway, so moving on, I just want to encourage everybody here. I'm not the only one asking those questions. I'm sure many others in our audience are asking that question. That being said, 
hang in there. I think there's going to be a lot to come. And I think when we start on uh, taking a look at these audits of these machines, which we've got happening right now, they're auditing these machines. There's all kinds of other evidence coming out of the fraud. And as Ratcliffe, uh, the director of national intelligence, puts out his report, I think it's going to be earth shattering as well. So don't miss this, folks. Don't miss this. Trump has legitimate ground to pursue his executive order from 2018. I think I think Ratcliffe's assessment on all of this is going to come into play on how he decides to go about this. There's a lot more to play out in this. Don't miss it. But let me jump right into some of this stuff because I want to get into the, uh, you know, we've got about a half hour left to go on our show. And I want to spend this talking about the multiple points of fraud. And I don't want to miss this. Folks, election integrity always matters. Any fraud is too much. Any fraud. And we have, you know, what we have here is a mountain of fraud. Okay, we have Hundreds of eyewitness test of eyewitness people of eyewitness testimony. We have hundreds of people that are eyewitnesses. We have tens of thousands of irregularities and unexplainable patterns of 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 incidents. Okay, I'm not even going to call them anomalies. What's interesting is many people call still call them anomalies. Folks, an anomaly is something when it happens here or there. But when you start getting many of them happening, it's no longer, they're no longer anomalies. They're, it's a pattern of incidents. It's a pattern. It becomes a pattern and a provable pattern. And of course, uh, that's what I think, I, I think we need to shift the transition to get, get the word anomaly out of our description of the voter fraud. Get it out. Stop using the word anomaly when you start to describe voter fraud to your neighbors and friends, which by the way, I would like to ask all of our listeners today to uh, to talk to five people in the next five days, seven days, five people, either co-workers, neighbors, whatever, okay, family members, five people, and talk about the voter fraud that we're going to go over here. Review with them the voter fraud we're going to go over with them. And please do not use the word anomaly. Use the word pattern, unexplainable patterns of voter fraud, okay? Unexplainable, not on our end, on their end, okay? I I, I just don't want to make this, I want to make sure we're clear on that. So, I mean, look, when there's smoke, there's fire. When smoke is evidence that a fire is there. And uh, I mean, when they stop the vote counts, when they stop the voting in these states, in Pennsylvania, and Georgia, and Michigan, they stop the voting. I think in Arizona as well, all about the same time. And when they did this, they did this to commit fraud. When they stopped, I should say stopped the voting, they stopped the vote tallying. They stopped the counting. They stopped the counting of votes. That's an indication of fraud, as smoke is an indication of fire. When they stopped the counting of votes, that's an indication of fraud. Don't miss it. And they did stop the counting of Pennsylvania. They did stop the counting of votes in Michigan, as well as Georgia, as well as Arizona. So make no mistake about it, okay? But I'm going to get into this because, again, that was the biggest indicator of fraud. Now, point number one, and I want to point this out because I think it's important that we get into this. And I'm going to just line something up here. Bear with me here. Okay, so point number one, you have, uh, we know, and again, I'm going to get to this, The, the we, we know that the vote counting, again, stopped on election night, and we know that happened. That's the first point I want to make. 
Now, the second point is we have irrefutable evidence, irrefutable evidence. When it's proven, again, when it's proven from the manufacturer what the rate that one of these tabulators and voting machines, what they at the rate they are able to count, what is the capacity for these machines to be able to actually count for votes at a, at a time? We know what that is. It's in the it's in the manual. It's in the manufacturer's specifications. We know this. So it can easily be proven that the vote tallies came through at a faster rate than the machines are capable of counting. <laughs> Don't miss that. And those were the votes that took place from 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. Don't miss that. Okay, that's don't miss that. You cannot have these elections count faster than, than the manufacturer specifications. That's not possible. Now, three, okay, we're being told that they have the voting machine logs for the past elections. What's interesting is the voting machine logs are the timestamps, if you will, of all the events that took place on the election equipment, okay? All the, all the action that took place on the election equipment is kept in voting machine logs. We have them for the 2018 elections. We have them for the 2016 elections. We have them for the 2014 to 2012. Folks, we have them for every election, including the off-year elections, but we don't have them for 2020. Why is that, folks? Why is that? Don't miss it. That's the third point. Now, the fourth point I want to make is that we have evidence of election information being sent to servers in foreign countries, folks. We know this. We know that the U.S. Army secured the servers. Don't miss that. That's another very important item. And then, of course, we have to ask. Of course, I don't. I haven't corroborated or verified this, or I won't because I won't give you too much of my opinion on this. But who was it that had the servers in the first place? In other words, who did the U.S. Army take the servers from? That will be an interesting topic that we'll likely hear on, Rat, on Ratcliffe's report, okay? I guarantee these servers are going to be on that report. Item number five. We have the evidence of the data drops between 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. when the voting stopped. Now, I want to point this out. I talked to some people about this, and they, I talked about the, the, stop, the, the, vote, the vote tallying that stopped. And then the data drops that came in at rates faster than the machines could even handle, specified or specifically handle due to their own machine uh, specifications. But when I got into the actual numbers, the people were staggered. I mean, the first part of that whole description of the fraud goes, okay, okay, well, that's bad. That's, oh, yeah, well, that's questionable. But then you get into the numbers. In Pennsylvania, we had 570,000 votes that were thrown into the machines. Now, these are voting machine tallies. These aren't mail-ins that Rick Santorum would like you to believe or Pat Toomey would like you to believe. These are voting machine tallies. 570,000 of them were dropped into these machines in those five hours between 1 a.m. to 6 a.m. And, folks, I'm going to tell you something. They were 99.4% for Biden. 99.4%. When I told people that, their jaws dropped. Folks, that is a jaw-dropping statistic. Please remember item number five, okay? That is jaw-dropping. Because when you're talking about the idea that we have 99.4% of the votes being for Joe Biden, that is pure, unadulterated 
indisputable fraud. I mean, it's it's indefensible fraud. That's what that is. I mean, it's just amazing. So please don't miss that. Now, what's interesting as well, we had evidence of hundreds of thousands. Now, this is number six, by the way. Hundreds of thousands, okay? Uh, evidence of hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots counted as votes, more than what was actually mailed out. Now, we taught, we heard this in Gettysburg. That was some evidence that came out. Giuliani testified. They got it right off the website. <clears throat> the state said they mailed out for round numbers. I'm going to use round numbers here. 1.85 million ballots. And they counted in there like 1.45 million ballots. Like 75% of them were actually returned and counted. Out of what was actually reported as mailed out. The problem was that they actually counted 2.5 million votes. Well, it's impossible to count 2.5 million votes from hundred well, from 1.85 million votes that were mailed out. Obviously, there's a 700,000 vote differential there, or nearly a 700,000 vote differential there. So when that came out, uh, we had the governor turn around and he said, well, oh, yeah, that's just a website posting error. No problem there. <clears throat> right after that happened, Trump put it out there with the truck driver. Remember the truck drivers that delivered the truck driver, the eyewitness truck driver who testified that he delivered completed ballots in from New York to Pennsylvania for counting. Remember that? I think that's very telling. And I want our listeners to know that. So the reason I mentioned that was because even though it's explained away, Trump threw the evidence in there after the fact and said, okay, governor, well, what do you have to say about these half a million or so ballots that were brought in by the truck driver? What do you have to say about that? And of course, you hear the crickets because there's, there's no more comments, okay? I thought that was compelling. Let's look at number seven. Item number seven, okay? Now, <clears throat> we also know, for instance, that uh, there are corroborated charges and evidence and evidence of voting machines and vote tabulation machines flipping thousands of votes. We know this is occurring. They have testing machines in Georgia and in Michigan, and they have found that these Dominion machines, I believe they're doing it in Arizona as well, they found that these Dominion machines are flipping votes and vote tabulation numbers. <clears throat> they're flipping them. Okay, they're flipping votes. Now, number eight, we have corroborated evidence that these machines, okay, have a vulnerability to hacking and vote fraud. Okay, because they're they're Internet capable. Okay, that's the big reason there. And they have USB ports that are active and everything. And, of course, they have evidence that this software that was in these voting machines does, in fact, hide their tracks of action. Now, what I wanted to point out here is that they're vulnerable to hacking and voter fraud. And I'm going to get a little bit more into that right now on item number nine. And, and again, uh, but 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 again, I, I don't want to miss this. They have Internet capabilities. They should not have this. Uh, anything that has Internet capability can be hacked. So one of these items they talked about was the uh, evidence, and we have evidence of it, of weighted rate algorithms that were installed on these machines. And we know this was there. And, of course, we had expert testimony from expert witnesses 
you know, the guy that invented the email, okay, from Massachusetts, from MIT, that guy, he was testifying on these weighted rate algorithms and how they're installed on these machines. Now, he also, uh, again, and of course, Phil Waldron, the, the, the colonel there that, that uh, was on the White Hat Brigade, talked about these machines actually having features from the manufacturers, the features that were being pushed by the manufacturers that they, they could be they could at any program could be put in there. They could the program can be put in there to give the operator the ability to do anything, shift votes or whatever. So they're completely vulnerable. And these weighted rate algorithms were installed. Now, what I want to talk about, I don't want to get too ahead of my skis here. That was number nine. But I, I do want to talk about the weighted rate algorithms, what that really is. And that's when a uh, that's when you it's not one vote, one person. It's it could be a decimal. For instance, if you wanted to slant a vote away from one candidate, A, into another candidate, B, you would create a weighted rate algorithm using a decimal. So you would say every vote for candidate A would be counted as 0.95, and every vote for candidate B would be counted as 1.05. Well, that's a 10% swing, folks. That's what that is, a 10% swing. Now, you could do that, and it would be 10%. So you would see a swing in the votes. And I think that that's, uh, that's very distinct. And they, they've proven this on these machines, okay? And again, when they test these machines, you see it. Now, what's, imp what's, imp what's interesting as well, and I'm going to get to this as, uh, on item number um, 10, is the, uh, how the voting machines have the software that's programmed to give the operator you know, carte blanche, if you will. I mean, basically to give them the ability to manipulate votes and to hide their tracks from any audit, the ability to change votes, hide votes, add votes, delete votes, again, without being detected. I mean, these are features of the machines, folks. I don't want to miss this. They're features. I mean, they're sold as features. Now, of course, the Dominion people are lying about it, but but this is what they're proving. They can prove that these machines have this vulnerability, all of them. The problem is, again, they were built to hide their tracks. So you can show the vulnerability, and then you can show the vote tallies, and, and you can listen to the eyewitnesses talk about it, and you can actually see people palming, you know, palming the USB drives, actually stealing them in Georgia, where they actually had on video camera uh, a woman stealing a, a USB drive. I mean, taking the, the, the USB drive and then palming it and putting another one in place. Folks, that's, that's, that's criminal activity. That's what that is. Okay. Anyway, uh, they have it on video. Okay. That's just another piece, but I don't want to, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but, but again, all the ballot marking devices, all right, will be missing from these machines. Again, it's a feature that prevents a digital forensic analysis from revealing anything. Don't miss that. We understand, too, I believe, that they don't have real-time audit logs, which maintains the date and the timestamps of all significant election events. So without these audit logs, it's, it's an unauthorized user can arbitrarily add, modify, and remove log entries, as I said, because you don't have these logs. You can do whatever you want, and it's untraceable. The fact that these machines don't have real-time audit logs is is crazy that we're using these account votes. I mean, I'm just I'm blown away by this, okay? 
So anyway, I wanted to bring that up in, in item number 10. Now, I do want to talk about the eyewitnesses that we've had that testified that these machines are, in fact, connected to the Internet. I've mentioned that before. That's item number 11. Folks, these machines have been and they were connected to the Internet. There's eyewitnesses to that fact. They can prove it. Now, Internet capability on these machines is bad, but when they're connected to the Internet, it becomes a federal crime. Now, you can justify it, okay, by saying, well, we we have to transmit the vote tallies, you know, we got to baloney. You can transmit the vote tallies the same way you did in 1999, okay, before Al Gore invented the Internet, okay? You can actually transmit the vote tallies the same way they did then. And the machines should be systems that are completely impenetrable from outside attack because you don't have any Internet capability. All USB ports, if any, were disabled. I mean, there's just no Internet capability, no wireless modems, nothing. There's nothing that these machines can have Internet capabilities on. And I thought was interesting on that, again, kind of going into item number 12, what was interesting, and I mentioned this earlier, the, the Dominion CEO categorically stated that the voting machines do not have a wireless modem or Internet capability. Folks, he lied. The man lied. The CEO of Dominion lied because they've proven, okay, that, and there's video evidence of this. For crying out loud, there's video evidence of Dominion salespeople stating that there's all kinds of wireless systems available. They were selling these machines. It's on video. They have these salespeople telling the, the, the state employees that were buying these machines, look, just tell us the parameters you want and we can create whatever you want. I mean, I, I, I heard this. This is breathtaking to me, folks. Don't miss this. Okay, I think in Georgia, they got big problems, and the Secretary of State wants to incorporate the University of Georgia for signature verification. That's like one out of a 100 problems he has. Believe me, they got some serious problems, serious problems. These machines are completely, completely, like, they lack all transparency, and they lack all the ability of confidence that they can count votes accurately. Folks, item number 13, we have police reports, okay, police reports of break-ins and stolen laptops and stolen USB drives here in Delaware County. We know that right here in Pennsylvania. And we know what was stolen. Election warehouses were broken into and laptops and stolen USB drives in these election warehouses. Folks, why would anybody break into an election warehouse? Think about this, folks, and who would have the capability of doing it? You know, we're not talking about, you know, some Antifa thug, okay, who suddenly decided to go in through the window. These are people, and my guess, my guess, are these are people who could disable security systems, okay, who could go in undetected, okay? I would imagine that this is above their pay grade, okay? The the thugs that firebomb the police cars, I would say this is above their pay grade. People that might have re- broken into these these the, the, these election warehouses, okay, and stolen these laptops and laptops and USB drives in Delaware County. I think uh, I think there were people that did this. Uh, they were capable of doing much more than this, okay. And again, Delaware County, I believe, is like the fourth or fifth largest county population wide in the state. I believe it's the fourth. I think. Anyway, it's just huge. It's a huge county for people, registered voters. Now, again, I talked about the the USB drives being palmed. That's item number 14. I thought was interesting was the video surveillance zoomed in on it. 
they zoomed right in on the lady as she palmed it. And the guy she's talking to, you know, was was trying to block the camera. These are election workers, folks. What are they doing palming USB drives? Unless, of course, they were told to do it. We need to find out who gave her direction to do that. I'd like to know. They know who she is. She couldn't have been in there without identification. They know who she is. They need to find this out. These are facts that they need to go into to make the proper arrests. We have irrefutable evidence, folks, of and I'm number 15, irrefutable evidence as well, okay, of hundreds of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots, certainly <laughs> tens of thousands of illegal ballots being counted as votes in Nevada. I mean, they estimate Nevada 100,000 illegal ballots. Pennsylvania, they estimate 600,000 illegal ballots in Pennsylvania. Arizona, 100,000. They have no idea in Michigan. Uh, I, I don't know why they don't have a clue on that. But Wisconsin, they estimate about 200,000. That would be those absentee ballots, folks, without without applications. And, of course, in Georgia, they estimate 400,000. All of them illegal ballots. Okay, and many of those, again, we have irrefutable evidence of tens of thousands of non-citizens in these states voting. Again, we have, and again, you get to the illegal ballot, so let's break that down a little bit. Okay, we have the non-citizens voting. Okay, again, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's huge. And then we have the thousands of dead people that actually cast ballots, which I think is really hard to do. If you're dead, how do you cast a ballot? Then, of course, ten, and there's tens of thousands of them in Pennsylvania alone. We had over 80, almost 8,500. That's a lot. I mean, I believe in Georgia, there was like 5,000. I mean, Arizona, there were thousands in all these states. Make no mistake, tens of thousands of dead people casting mail-in ballots in these states that I mentioned. And tens of thousands of people illegally registered to vote with wrong addresses. This was a big deal in Georgia because Georgia's got very strict ID laws that say you can't register to vote without a house or an apartment. And so you actually had people that were registering to vote using post office boxes as apartment numbers for an address. They've identified tens of thousands of people in all these states who illegally registered to vote with a, with a phony address. Make no mistake about it. And then, of course, remember, remember we had uh, we had the phony fire drill in there. That would be number 16. Remember we had the phony fire drill, the phony water main break over there in Georgia. Remember? Okay, they had the phony water main break. They had the video surveillance where they evacuated the building with with everybody with, of everybody except, well, of all the Republicans. They all were they all vacated the building, evacuated the building, moved on. They pushed all them out the door, and they kept about five people behind the key five people who then went under the tables and pulled out ballots from under the tables, boxes of ballots, and they're they're in boxes they're familiar with, so they estimated that each one of those boxes had about 5,000 ballots in them. They estimated about 20,000 ballots right there were caught on videotape being pulled out from underneath the table and counted as ballots. Folks, that is fraud in plain sight. Don't miss that. You can't deny this. I mean, it's on video camera. For crying out loud, you can't deny this. And again, we, we got into the truck drivers, and I talked about that. Okay, that would be the number 17, those truck drivers delivering those ballots. I mentioned that earlier, uh, the truck drivers bringing in ballots from a, a postal building in New York that doesn't process mail. 
This was not a building, a postal building that processes mail. They went to a, a, an administrative building that then processed mail, and he picked up a load there, and the load was ballots. And then he took the ballots into Pennsylvania to be counted. That's evidence. They have eyewitness testimony of that, folks. Make no mistake about that. Again, strong evidence. Okay, strong evidence. Now, we all we also know, number of number 18, we also know that we had all the Republican canvassers being asked to leave the can- the canvassing rooms in Philadelphia County and in, uh, um, I believe it's Wayne County, which is Detroit. So, I mean, they actually, in, in Atlanta, I mean, it was, they, kept, they kept Republican canvassers from seeing the vote canvassing. I don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. They actually, you know, kept them so far away they couldn't see anything. And again, you know, and then, of course, that's number 18. And if you throw in number 19, where Justice Alito actually issued a court order directing the Secretary of State to uh, keep ballot canvassing observers, you know, I should say to uh, uh, to to separate the, the ballots that were coming in after the third. They didn't separate anything. So, I mean, they she disregarded those written, you know, the the. The, the court order by the Supreme Court justice, not to mention disregarding the written law, and they they, they did their own thing. Again, and the canvassers, uh, they're able to see as per written law. So when the Secretary of State gave direction to people in the state to, to disregard the signatures and to disregard the observers of the canvassers, in those counties, a lot of it had to do with the fact that, I mean, she disregarded the law of the land, the law of Pennsylvania. So that unilaterally puts her in a bad, in a bad spot. I mean, again, she broke the law. And then when it was challenged to the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, they disregarded the written law as well. And they, and they essentially rewrote the election law, did a big favor, quote unquote, I put that in, put that in quotes. <laughs> You know, they rewrote the law for the assembly. Well, folks, that's illegal. They can't do that. So, again, you know, you get down to that. It's just really is breathtaking to me. Now, I thought what was funny was we found out in Detroit the actual. Now, we, I already talked to you about the CEO of Dominion, how he was testifying that these machines do not have Internet capability for, I should say, Wi-Fi capability. I thought what was interesting was, and of course they got caught in a lie there, but I thought what was interesting was he actually was present in the Detroit counting room. The CEO was there, and he had tech support with him. What I thought was interesting was, uh, again, why is he there? And he was asked, the, 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 the witness, the eyewitness who testified to this, was asked by the, by the Michigan senator, why would the CEO have his, be there and have his tech support there? When all they're doing is counting ballots. I don't get that. Folks, don't miss that. Okay, don't miss that. We can all presume why that is. Okay. Again, we have eyewitness testimony of canvassers stating that they saw ballots as well. Okay. That were being counted as votes that were not mailed. That's amazing. They were just... They weren't folded. They could see they weren't folded and they weren't, they weren't re- removed from an envelope. These are ballots that didn't have the creases in them. I mean, they could tell that they were just processed. You can tell. 
We have eyewitness testimony of hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots that were counted as votes with no voter ID check folks, no signature match abuses, broken chain of custody, and unauthorized ballot handling. All of these are major problems in election law. This is what we saw in these states. And hundreds of thousands of mail-in absentee ballots that were mailed in and counted as votes from people, again, as I stated, who did not even complete an application to request the ballot. And we watch governors and secretaries of state, in some cases AGs, attorney generals, disregard requests from the state assembly, like here in Pennsylvania, to pre-canvass the mail-in ballots. It was requested of this governor to pre-canvass these ballots to avoid the chaos on election day. And our governor said, no, we're not going to do that. Now, the only reason he would do that is because he wanted the chaos on Election Day. He wanted all of this to give him air cover for the fraud they were going to commit. That's what I see. That's my opinion. But there's no reason why any governor or any leader of any election official would not want to pre-canvass when the legislature says, we want to pre-canvass. The governor says, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to. We don't have to pre-canvass here. Now, we only have two million of these ballots that were mailed out, so we don't have to pre-canvass. I mean, when you've got 30 and 40 times the number of ballots that were being mailed out than were normally mailed out, that's very telling, folks. Don't miss that. So all the laws that were totally disregarded, and I just went through them. I kind of lineated right through. I would lineate right all through these so you guys, so all listeners here can get the the opining, my opining on each one of these. And I wanted to put that out there so you would know how to explain this to to people that aren't getting the news, that aren't getting the facts. These are the facts that you can relate to them, reference my show if you'd like. The last 30 minutes of the show, which was all about these, the the voter fraud incidents that were a pattern of voter fraud, not anomalies, and explain why we don't call them anomalies anymore because we have, when you've got this many incidents, it becomes a pattern of fraud that is evidence of fraud. And added that all the laws were totally disregarded, and this election was a dereliction of elections. Look, the state legislatures can they they can and should take back their constitutional responsibility, and they should select the electors. Now, the good news is we are sending out dueling electors. Arizona, Georgia, Nevada, New Mexico, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin had dueling electors sent. Trump's plan is to have alternate electors in place to leave the legal remedies open. Remember, the Constitution is the plan that we're going to use, that we're going to use. The Constitution is the plan to destroy the deep state and end and and basically defeat the end America policies and politics and politicians. You know, what we need, folks, and we're going to have to have it. We're going to have to have voter ID laws, and we have to be sure our election equipment is not accessible to the Internet, period. No no ifs, ands, buts, or maybes, nothing. There's not a reason for any election equipment to have Internet capabilities at all. Internet access only makes our elections vulnerable to hacking and widespread fraud and problems. And, of course, we need to get a handle on these mail-in ballots as well. And I don't want to miss that. I thought the uh, the amicus brief that our uh, our legislatures filed – on the Texas case was very telling. Folks, they're, they're, this is all an admission that we had a messed up election based upon the state leaders, not, not you know, that the, the, these, well, 
unelected secretary of state, but also uh, and unelected election officials unilaterally making decisions with these judges who are elected. But folks, they had no business making these decisions. They all broke the law. They all decided to do their own thing. And it's just election by the numbers, folks. So this this is what I brought to you today at the speed of sound. And I am just so thrilled that you're all able to keep up with this, okay? I mean, this is basically election fraud in plain sight and by the numbers. So don't miss that, folks. Don't miss that. We appreciate all of you for tuning in today to our show. And uh, uh, we just appreciate you being here with us. Be with us every week at this time on this station, okay, to hear our show and our in our fast-paced factual discussion, folks. Thanks so much for being with us today. Be with us later on today as we talk a little bit about the reports of Chinese troops being in Canada. I want to get into that a little bit, as well as some other relevant information that we'll share with you on our show, The Watchman, later on today at 1 p.m. Folks, thanks so much for being with us. Tune in next week to our show, The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.